Welcome to the Age of Organizational Effectiveness. This is the podcast that explores stories about organizations and their performance. I'm your host, Charles Chandler. Today, we're at episode number 108, and I'm calling it Entrepreneur in Africa. In this episode, I'm joined by Merrick Mislowski, author of the book Chasing Black Unicorns, How Building the Amazon of Africa Put Me on Interpol's Most Wanted List. Merrick is a Polish-born entrepreneur and executive focused on online businesses in frontier and emerging markets. He co-founded Jumia Travel, Africa's biggest hotel booking portal listed on the New York Stock Exchange as part of Jumia Group and Online.co, a travel technology company. In 2014, he was chosen as one of the 10 most important people in tech by IT News Africa magazine. He's a lead mentor at Google's Launchpad and the World Bank's Excel Africa program. In 2012, Merrick found himself in Africa initially to start a venture for Rocket Internet. We discuss his experience in various startup ventures on the African continent since those early days. Merrick writes that his goal in life is to leave the world in slightly better shape than it was when he arrived. He now lives in Cape Town, South Africa. And I'm now joined by Merrick Zemlowski from Cape Town. How are you doing this morning, Merrick? I guess it's afternoon where you are. I'm great. Thank you. Yes, it's uh, what time is it now? It's past 5 p.m. right now. Thank you for having me. Uh, I really appreciate yours. Well, it's great to have you with us today. Why did you want to write this book? Oh, it's it's been a process. So let me start with a joke. I've um, I spent the last eight years of my life doing businesses in sub-Saharan Africa, in countries like Nigeria, Kenya, Senegal, of Africa. So definitely interesting countries to, to do business in. And before that, I was doing business in in early in early days of uh, democratic Poland in a way. Well, not so early because democracy started in the early 90s. I did it in uh, 10 years after, but still. And someone told me once, um, you have to be extremely lucky in life because you have so many uh, interesting stories to tell. And I said that it's, I have to be really lucky because if I wasn't lucky, I would be dead by now. So maybe it's time to sometimes put them into writing. And I always wanted to write a book. When I moved to Africa, I was searching for literature about doing business in Africa, which was never to be found. The available literature about doing business in, in Africa was some university guys written some theoretical book, which was amazingly, but amazing, but nothing practical. Or I was able to find books about driving, riding a motorbike through the Sahara Desert. Again, an amazing book, but nothing about business. And I figured maybe I'm onto something. Maybe if I, I do something significant, I will be able to share my story in the form of a business insights book, because that's what I always wanted to do. And then fast forward eight years, here I am having the most extreme situations in my life happen to me in Africa, both extreme in a positive way because one of the companies I was able to uh, uh, launch with, with other partners, we, we went and the company went public last year in New York Stock Exchange. But at the same time, uh, with my second business, I put myself into the worst problems ever because essentially my business partners wanted to kick me out of the company 
using the most drastic ways possible, which is bribing the Nigerian police to put you to jail unless you sign the papers to give up the company. And uh, at some point I realized, I guess this is a good material for the book and let me write it down right now until it's also fresh and, and, and still up to date because I'm writing about building an e-commerce business five years ago in Nigeria and that information is still pretty relevant. It will already be totally outdated if I write this book at the end of my life, years from now or something like that. And, uh, and to finish with, I was always a fan of books which both entertain you and educate you. So I figured I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write down all the crazy stories that happened to me because they're supposed to entertain the reader or scare you. And then in between making you laugh or making you sad, I have your attention and then I'll just give you some business insights in between. Because if it was just business, you wouldn't be able to survive through the 17 chapters or so on. So, so also, in a way, I wanted to, to, to write a hybrid of neither a full biography book, but also not a full business book. I wanted to combine it. And that's kind of, you know, that's the full story of why I wrote it and, and how I wanted to write it. Yeah, I found it to be a fascinating personal journey. Give us a sense of what you knew and what you didn't know when you first arrived in Africa and what you set out to do. Start with what, what year you entered and uh, tell us uh, what, what you actually set out to do. So that was year 2012. I was already a more or less seasoned entrepreneur in Poland. At some point I realized that because I never worked for anyone, all the companies I worked for were actually my companies, so I never had a proper background in business. I never studied properly, so I also had no education in business. I kind of hit a ceiling in terms of what I can do, what I can build. I decided I want to work for a big international investment fund and learn from them, like an MBA of business life. Just like in, in the States, you have Google or Amazon, and everyone that wants to be successful in online business, you want to work for them at least for a year or two. In Europe, we had Rocket Internet, which is like the, the, the most successful e-commerce company in the whole Europe. And at that time, they were preparing themselves to also open their businesses in Africa. And I just wanted to work for them. Doesn't matter what I would do, I just wanted to work for them for a year. And when they looked at my CV and they realized I'm not a typical intern, because I already had experience, they offered me this position of launching the business together with them from scratch in Nigeria. And instead of being paid a typical salary for a manager, I would just get also my salary in shares if I deliver results. And that's how I really turned out to be a founder. And to answer your question, what we were setting to do, the concept was very simple. We assumed that Africa is at the very early stage of economic growth, but we are betting on democracy and capitalism. Uh, and maybe eight years ago, it was more obvious than it is now, <laughs> looking at everything that's happening around the world. And uh, we figured if democracy and capitalism will win, also the, the behaviors of the clients, customers, will, will, will become the same. So if you have a successful Amazon or Uber in the States, Africa will need its own version of those type of businesses. And maybe we'll be able to open them before the Amazon really comes, which is actually very funny because as we speak today, today Amazon has uh, issued a press release that they are hiring 3,000 people in South Africa. They are really entering this, uh, this market, which is eight years after we figured that we have a couple of years of uh, of a window of opportunity. And we decided back then open open seven business models, which was from e-commerce to online travel to food delivery to ride hailing 
to, to classify to our marketplace. So we basically decided these are those business models which are working in, the, in Europe and in the States online, and we're going to open them before anyone else in Africa because we can raise money from European companies. And that's what we set ourselves to do in 2012. And that's how the most <laughs> amazing adventure of my life happened really. So how is building a startup in, in Africa different than it might be elsewhere? I guess what you need to start with is that you'll be facing with a lot of infrastructure challenges that you, you don't really see anymore in Europe or the States because when, you were, when Amazon was launching the States, they were competing with Barnes & Noble, let's just say, and they were able to leverage existing delivery network. They were able to leverage existing warehousing network. They could sell something they didn't even have in their own warehouse. They would just order it after they sold it on the internet. We didn't have that luxury. Uh, DHL or UPS was not working with e-commerce companies in 2012 in Nigeria. So in order for us to deliver products, we had to hire our own couriers that would go from house to house in Lagos, Nigeria. So after two years, our delivery network was bigger than DHL in Nigeria. Uh, we couldn't leverage on existing warehousing network. Everything we were selling in Nigeria and 80% of the stuff we, we were selling was imported from China. We had to do it on our own. There were, there were a lot of merchants back then, but very small ones, but I didn't want to work with a website. Then. Again, for the online travel part, there was around 10,000 hotels in Nigeria, and I wanted to have a website where you can book a hotel online, which is so obvious for us right now, but only 10% of those hotels were online. So I couldn't just find them or send them an email. So I had to find them offline, convince them to, to get clients from the internet, receive an email from me, put their rates online, and, and pay me money if I give them clients. So such an obvious business model from, from other regions. And so we kind of had to do a lot of education for people, for local merchants, like hotels or, or sellers, to, to work with us. Something that is so obvious when you build a business now, because it's kind of so natural that you, everything is online and software is it in the world. That wasn't that obvious back then. And I think the best way to illustrate that is even two years ago in Nigeria, Google, which is the biggest company on the internet almost, was still buying apps in TV after the main news edition, before the main movie of the day. And you could see TV ads explaining to the consumers that there's this website called google.com and you can go there and search for information, which kind of tells you that there's still a lot of education to do around what you, what you, what you want to do, what you can do online. And, and the last big problem for us in sub-Saharan Africa was that, not last, but the second one that I want to mention, is the discrepancy in the purchasing power. Uh, just to give you an, an, an observation here, Nigeria has 200 million people, more or less, living there. But only 1% of that population, which is 2 million people, makes more than $10,000 per year. So if you want to sell normal goods like home appliance, electronics, clothing, then your market in the whole Nigeria is just two million people. So the market of those goods we consider as middle class goods is extremely small. So if you want to sell to the whole society, you need to be able to move your price point much, much lower for people that sometimes live on $10 per day or even less. So I would characterize your book as a personal journey through the maelstrom that's Africa. 
but these days, uh, you know, there's maelstroms all over the world because of uh, COVID-19 yeah. and various other things we're facing. But can you give us some tips that might help others involved in a similar startup elsewhere, uh, either, either in Africa or Asia or, or other places? Because uh, I think uh, your, your experience uh, in lack of infrastructure and these other problems that you, that you mentioned uh, is, is quite uh, prevalent uh, in, a, in a lot of places. Yeah. So we were this classical example of assuming that if a business model is successful in the States or Europe, it will be successful in Africa because the States and Europe is what new. And then you realize after you bring this business model is that the business model is the only thing you can bring from Europe and Africa and America. <laughs> then everything else you have to figure out on your own from scratch. The client's behavior are really different. The, how they react to price changes, how they react to different marketing uh, techniques, how you hire people, how you pay for media, how to manage your teams, everything you have to figure out from scratch. What I never, uh, was the word, what I underappreciated is that you should really look at what is happening in Asia, in China, in India, uh, because if you want to open a business in Africa as a foreigner, those regions like Asia, India, Pakistan, China have much more success and they are much better equipped to, to launch a successful business in Africa and also the other way around. Now I can give you many examples of, company, of fintech companies, technology companies from Nigeria and South Africa expanding into, into India, into Pakistan, into China or into Brazil. In a way, the, the old Western world, so the Western Europe, maybe a little bit of Central Eastern Europe and, and the United States, we live in a bubble. And whatever business models we have prepared for this part of the world are not really applicable that much in the other parts of the world. Not only because difference in economy development, but also a lot of culture differences, which we tend to underappreciate because if we go to anywhere in the world and we see McDonald's everywhere and everyone is listening to, I don't know, Maria Carey, we, we think that everything else is also the same already. We underappreciate those, those differences that are lying a little bit deeper. So you, you grew up in Poland, Mark, and uh, how has that helped or hindered your journey to this point? Uh, give us a little sense of, of where you came from and, and uh, how that influenced your journey. And that has really shaped me on a personal level. I was this typical bullied fat kid in high school, and I had this. I was always like, uh, was the word embarrassed and humiliated, and I had this very strong internal need to, to become successful to prove everyone around me, and that has turned out to be one of the most powerful tools you can ever have in terms of resilience and motivation. But if you contact, continuously seek validation from the external world, it can also destroy you. So you need to be able to, to manage this force in you. <laughs> so you don't want to end up on the dark side of the force. In a way. But also, uh, Poland, I was born and raised in the late 80s, early 90s. So that was just the early days of the post-communist Poland, where all those big fortunes were made. And, and McDonald's was introduced. For me, going to McDonald's when I was six years old was like the... The, the high point of my life, because here it was, this American dream coming to my small city. And, and that's how I really fell in love with this American dream and the whole uh, uh, the concept of being able to, 
get out of poverty uh, thanks to business because I come from a very humble beginning. My mother was a teacher, my father was a soldier. They gave me very good education, but that was it. I was never hungry, but there were, there were no, no, no comfortable aspects of my life besides that. And, and also, thanks to building my first businesses in Poland, I really fell in love with this very early chaotic stage of capitalism when everything is just being created. There's still so much chaos, still so many challenges, corruption, theft, but, it, but also this, this concept of a really wild, wild, wild west, last wild west, like in westerns, just in business, right? And, and I think this is why then I was really pulled into Nigeria. This is really why I fell in love with running business in, in this part of the world, in, in sub-Saharan Africa, is because I could see the same thing that I saw in Poland. I landed in Nigeria and I realized, oh my God, this is like Poland in the 80s, but just 10 times bigger. And now I'm old enough to take advantage of this uh, economical revolution. I'm a foreigner. I have some privileges because I come from Europe. I have access to capital. I can take advantage of it uh, and, 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 and do some investments and, and, and hopefully make some money and have a lot of fun in between. And I think something that you can get in terms of satisfaction running business in those regions is that you just see that you influence the environment around you. You hire people to your office that would never get an office job if it wasn't for you. And then they tell you, if it wasn't for you, I would never be able to have a you know, white collar work. And then you see people building their own companies. And in Europe, what I could do, I could just work for some multinational corporation or, or build another mobile app again. And it's just a different level of satisfaction that you can get here. The similarities between Poland and, uh, and Nigeria, uh, was it due to sort of the f informal nature of business? In the West, we have these large corporations, uh, you know, the Googles of the world, uh, the Facebooks and all those. Those, those tend to be the uh, shining lights that everybody points to. But uh, in, in reality, in most countries, uh, there's lots of very small informal things that are going on behind the scenes in a way. And, and the formal um, institutions operate in, in very informal ways as well. Can you reflect on that? You hit it on the, on the, on the head, hit the nail on the head. That, that's, the, that's what I enjoyed in Poland with everything being created still from scratch and, and having chaos being, the, chaos being the fun and the excitement part instead of regulations which allow the system to perform well but without the fun of it. And, and I, I found exactly that in, in Nigeria as well where there, there was no law that would tell me how I can operate as an e-commerce business because no one ever thought about regulating this business. Everything was created. And, and then you realize that because you're one of the first guys, you have a chance to shape that and maybe not make the same mistakes that were made in Europe. So I'm going to give you an example. Um, when Booking.com becomes so powerful in Europe, it was also because it was abusing its position when they were negotiating the deals with hotels. For example, when you were a hotel from Europe and you wanted to be listed on Booking.com, you were forbidden to put a price of your room cheaper than your price on Booking.com anywhere else. So if you sold your room for 100 euros on Booking.com, you couldn't sell it for 90 on your own website because Booking was a powerful it forbids you to do. And it took hotels many, many years to win this case in court. 
protect, to protect themselves from abuse. But when we were one of the first companies to, to, to do hospitality software in Nigeria, we were then approached by the legislators in Nigeria, and we had a real influence on how the law around trade and e-commerce between hotels and merchants and, and other companies will happen in, in Nigeria. And that's extremely rewarding for you. And I'm going to give you another example. Now in Kenya, there's this law being pushed that even though you're buying something from Facebook, when you're a Kenyan and you're buying something from Facebook, right now Facebook will also have to pay taxes for this transaction to Kenyan government. Because although, because always Facebook was, was trying to take advantage of those loopholes of being a digital company, so many Kenyans were paying so much money on different services on Facebook or on Google, and Kenya government could never see a, a dime of this, of this money because they had no way to tax them. And, and now it's already changed. And those entrepreneurs who are now building online businesses in Kenya and they were, had to compete with Facebook, they, were, they had a much more influence on, on how the law will, will look like because they were one of the first ones. And that's so rewarding. I, I would never have had a chance to be, be invited for a conversation about how a law can be created so it's not damaging for anyone. If I was trying to build a business number one million and one in the United States. Yeah, in, in this podcast, uh, we're able to only touch on a very small part of your book. Are there other areas uh, that you want to mention before we uh, conclude? Oh, yeah, thank you for this question. So I think it's worth mentioning that all the revenue from the sales of this book, as well as all my speaking engagements related to the book, go to a charity because I didn't want to publish this book for money. That's, that's what my business is for. This book was for different reasons. And at some point when I decided to give my money to a charity, I started to search for a proper charity uh, because, you know, I approached the problem like an investor. Show me your charity. Show me what you're doing with the money. Show me your return on investment. If you're not losing all the money, what is the long-term effect of the money you are helping to the communities? By investment, I mean visible, positive change in the communities you're helping as an NGO. And when I was analyzing all those NGOs being run in Africa, I just realized that this is extremely badly managed. And if, if you're come from the technology world when everything is way more transparent and way more efficient, you can take advantage of technology and also build a, a charity organization, which is way more efficient than those charities opened 100 years ago and it can become too big. And, and I ended up, long story short, I ended up opening my own charity. <laughs> so for anyone interested in my story or the book or the charity for that matter, to see where the money from the book goes to, just check my website, uh, chasingblackunicorns.com, and that's where all the information is, is in. You can find everything there, chasingblackunicorns.com. And thank you for allowing me to, to mention that and bring this up. We'll, we'll certainly have links to your uh, website uh, in the show notes. What's the best way for listeners to connect with you? Once you go to the website, actually, you will see also all my emails there, all my social media handles. Uh, it, it's all there. It's easy, easy to easy to find. ChasingBlackUnicorns.com, which is the same as the title of the book. Well, great. Thanks, Merrick, for being with us today. It's been a fascinating uh, discussion, uh, and best of luck in in all of your endeavors.
My pleasure. Thank you so much uh, for the invitation. I love what you're doing, and I hope to speak soon, whether online or, or in real life. Let's see what the COVID situation will allow us. And that's about it for today. Join us again next time when we'll consider more stories about organizations and their performance. Before I go, let me remind you that you can pick up a copy of my book on Amazon.com. It's called Become Truly Great, Serve the Common Good Through Management by Positive Organizational Effectiveness. And I'm your host, Charles Chandler, saying so long for now.